Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We know theologically that God is omnipresent. We know that God's everywhere. We know that God is omniscient. We know that God knows everything. But isn't it crazy that we still try to hide from God? We still try to sometimes move out of His presence because of sin. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Jonah chapters 1 through 2. Now here's Pastor Brian. The book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So Jonah is a person that we know little to nothing about, except what we have here in this story and in one other passage in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Jonah is referred to. Now, of course, in the New Testament, we know about Jonah because Jesus spoke of Jonah. But as far as any kind of history, any kind of family background, we know he's the son of Amittai, We don't know anything about Amittai. But we know that he was from a little town called Gath Hefer. And you can read about him. It's just a a sentence in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And it's in the context of the reign of Jeroboam II. So the time frame is probably somewhere between 800 and 750 B.C., And it says there in the King's passage, it says that, you know, God gave some uh, type of a victory to the king of Israel according to the word of the Lord that came through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So that's that's all the Old Testament says about him. Now, a little, a kind of, a, I think it's a little bit of an interesting point is Gath Heifer is about three miles from Nazareth. So Jesus, remember, Jesus references Jonah. And it could be just simply because, I mean, obviously it's more than this. Jesus is the son of God and he's speaking prophetically, but it could be because of the region that Jesus grew up in, in Nazareth, that that Jonah was a well-known Old Testament figure because he would have hardly been known apart from that. As a matter of fact, there's a point in the Gospel of John, maybe you remember, when the, the Pharisees are disputing with Jesus and they're arguing with people. And um, Nicodemus actually, he kind of chimes in and, and says, you know, you're... Basically, he's just saying, you know, you should, you should hear him out before you make a final conclusion. And they come against Nicodemus and they said, what are you? Are you from Galilee also? And they chided him. And then they said this. They said, no prophet comes from Galilee. Jonah came from Galilee. So that's how irrelevant Jonah was in the minds of the Pharisees at the time. 
They didn't even recognize or acknowledge him. And when we see the content of Jonah, we'll kind of understand why, because Jonah, the the gist of Jonah is that God loves the Assyrians. And the Pharisees wouldn't have liked that message, really, because they just thought God loved them and only them. So, So anyway, that's a little bit of the background there. And the word of the Lord came to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And the Assyrian Empire was the empire that that dominated the uh, near Middle East prior to the Babylonian Empire. These were the ones that took the northern kingdom, which would Galilee would have been part of it. These are the ones that in 721 BC would have taken uh, the northern kingdom into captivity. The Assyrians did that. Sennacherib is uh, the well-known king. He's mentioned in scripture. He's the one who actually made Nineveh the, the, um, the capital of Assyria. So Assyria is known for its violence and its brutality and its barbarous treatment of their enemies. So if you, if you read any of the extra biblical literature from the time, the Assyrian kings are always boasting about how they mutilated their enemies, how they cut off their noses and their ears and they they posted them on spikes and just all this gory, bloody kind of stuff. They were the last people you would ever want to get captured by in a battle. And so the Lord is sending Jonah to Nineveh to preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So we find a number of places in the Bible where God is going to judge specific places for their wickedness. Now, I was thinking about this. Um, I mean, you know, all people are sinners, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All cities, towns, communities. I mean, in one sense, you could say that, that there's, there's wickedness everywhere. It's, it's inescapable. But the Bible seems to also indicate that there is a level of wickedness that, that can come about that will provoke the immediate intervention and judgment of God. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of, I mean, if you think about it, at the time that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, there were many ancient cities, not only in the region, but there were ancient cities further in the east. And undoubtedly, they were pagan. Undoubtedly, they were wicked. But why is it that God just destroys Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, the wickedness had reached a level that had now brought about the necessity of God dealing with it. And that's what's happening here because Assyria is 
one empire. Babylon is not a, a, like a world power at this point, but Babylon is on the rise. And it's obviously another idolatrous, wicked place as well. But the judgment is going to fall on Nineveh because the, the level of wickedness has, has reached a height at this point. So God's sending Jonah to pronounce a judgment upon the city of Nineveh. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. (laughs) So, you know, this is interesting. I mean, this is a prophet, right? He prophesied and his prophecies came to pass. He was known as a prophet. But here's a prophet who's, who's running from his calling. He is running or seeking anyway to run away from the Lord. Jonah's not the only person that's ever done that. He's certainly not the last person that's going to do that. Many people have sought to run away from the Lord, something that is an impossibility, of course. Now, some commentators, they say, well, Jonah, yeah, he was a prophet, but he probably had the, the mentality of most people at the time that, that their God was a God that was primarily over their geographical location. So Jonah maybe thought that somehow if he just went to Tarshish, he could, he could actually get away from God. I don't think Jonah thought that. Jonah knows exactly who God is. He knows he's the Lord who created heaven and the earth. He knows he's the God who's everywhere, but he still thinks I'm gonna hide from God somehow. And the reason I absolutely believe that that's what was in Jonah's mind is because people think like that all the time, don't they? I mean, we know theologically that God is omnipresent. We know that God's everywhere. We know that God is omniscient. We know that God knows everything. But isn't it crazy that we still try to hide from God? We still try to sometimes move out of his presence because of sin or because we don't want to do what he's telling us to do. So Jonah's not confused about who God is. He just doesn't want to do what God calls him to do. So he's going to, Nineveh is is sort of due east of um, Israel. So he's going to go as far west as he possibly can. Tarshish, nobody knows exactly where it is. Some people think southern Spain is probably where it was. We don't know. But he went down to Joppa. If you go to Joppa today, it's, it's just this beautiful little port at the southern tip of Tel Aviv. It's called Jaffa or Joppa. And it's one of my favorite places. I just love to go walk around this, this quaint little, it's almost like a village and it's right there on the Mediterranean. And th- this is the place where he went to sail 
as far west as he possibly could. Then the Lord, okay, here's the key as we go through. We're gonna see this over and over and over again. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So all through Jonah, one of the things that we're gonna see here in Jonah is we're gonna see God's intervention in all of this. So Jonah takes off trying to get out of the presence of the Lord. The Lord sends a great wind. So all of these incidental, seemingly incidental things that occur, they're all gonna be prefaced with, then the Lord did this. You know, I think, you know, you, there's two traps that, that you can fall into. You can fall into the trap of interpreting everything that happens by the Lord did this, and the Lord did that, and the Lord did this, and the Lord did that. And the Lord told me, don't eat those Wheaties for breakfast. Instead, have oatmeal. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, don't take the 405, go on the 5 instead. Now, that can become fanatical. Not to say that there might not be times when that does happen, but I would say that is not the general way that God's going to be speaking to us and directing our lives. So, so that's, that's one extreme. But the other extreme, and this is more common, is to just never see God's hand in anything and just sort of chalk it up to, well, I don't know, it just happened or... Um, I don't know, it's just luck, I guess, or I don't know, you know, fate led me here today or uh, things like that. No, God is active in our lives and we should think in those terms. And when we are making decisions, not about what you should have for breakfast necessarily, but when you're making decisions about what you're doing with your life and what you're doing in service to God and all of that, we need to be seeking the Lord and recognizing that God does intervene in our lives. Just like he's intervening in the life of Jonah here. He's intervening by sending a wind. Who would have thought that this wind that suddenly kicks up and this storm that comes, this is actually God doing this because of this one guy. So we need to get our worldview from the Bible because the tendency is so often to just get a naturalized view of everything because that's the world we live in and that's the way everybody thinks around us. So let's not do that. We don't want to go into the fanatical realm where we're mistakenly thinking God's leading us to do every little thing, but we don't want to be at the other end of the spectrum either by any stretch. And so all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, here's a really interesting thing. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Man, this guy's in a real state here. 
The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Another of God's interventions. God's going to expose who the problem is here. The lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? (laughs) They're really quizzing him. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. See, Jonah doesn't think that God's only the Lord over this little bit of geography. He understands who God is. And now they're terrified. This terrified them and they ask, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? I wonder why they asked him that question. I mean, he's, Evidently, he's convinced them that he is the problem. So what, what should we do to you? And he then, he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Wow. Now, I, I think Jonah's response, it's interesting. I was reading one commentary. And so, you know, what are we to do? Jonah says, throw me overboard. That's the solution. And one commentator, he said, now look at Jonah. His, his heart is so, you know, he kind of sees Jonah right here as a type of Jesus. He's got, one man's going to die so everybody else can live. <laughs> I mean, that did happen with Jesus. I do not think that that is in Jonah's thinking process. Because <laughs> we're going to find as we go further in the story, even after he goes through this un- incredible ordeal, he's still got some issues. He's still a bit of a reluctant prophet to say the least. But I think Jonah is just, he's just resigned. Like, I'm not doing what God said. So here's the answer. Throw me overboard. It's fine with me because I'd rather go down and die in the sea than go to Nineveh where God was trying to send me. So Jonah Jonah is is a stubborn person. Now, 
it says, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord after the sea calm. They feared the Lord. They offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Here it is again. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now this, of course, is the most famous aspect of the story of Jonah. This is what we even know Jonah for mostly. And this would also be the most controversial and the basis upon which many, many people would reject this story as being true. So there have been people, skeptics outside of the church and skeptics inside of the church who have just said, this didn't happen. This is a fable. This is an illustration. This is a story that's just teaching a bigger lesson, but there's no historicity to it. And the root reason for that conclusion is simply this. Those people do not believe in the miraculous. And since they don't believe in the miraculous, this obviously would have to be a miracle, and therefore miracles don't happen, so this didn't happen. But we have to remember that Jesus, he used Jonah as an example. Jesus seemed to think that Jonah really was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. And I don't think Jesus was just buying into the thinking of the time like some people would say. Oh, well, everybody thought that, so Jesus just went along with what they thought and used it as an illustration. That makes Jesus complicit in spreading false information, which I just refuse to believe that Jesus did that. Oh, this really happened. This really happened. Now, notice, the Lord provided a huge fish. So, again, number one, the Lord provided. Now, somebody took this, a rabbi, an ancient rabbi took this and said, basically, (laughs) from the beginning of time, God created this fish, and he was just waiting for this moment. (laughs) This This is what the fish was created for at the very beginning. Now, I think that's a little rabbinical exaggeration. I don't think that's happened. When, when it says that God provided a fish, it means that God brought the fish to the place at the time that he needed the fish to be there. Now, we commonly think of Jonah and the what? Whale, right, whale. For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. We live in a world where even Christians are enamored by those who call themselves influencers and leaders who are striving to build their platforms. But as the world focuses its attention upon how to become influencers and leaders, Jared C. Wilson will bring you back to the place of the priority of learning to follow Jesus. 
Have you become frustrated with the promises of experienced Christian growth if you just knew the five things that would help or the next five steps to take, only to find you're still in a place of defeat? Are you ready to experience Jesus in a way that's gospel-centered? Are you ready to bring your messiness to Jesus? Well, in his book, The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together, Jared C. Wilson will help you understand true discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus by the grace of God. You will find freedom from the to-do list discipleship, and you will be encouraged by the realities of what Jesus has already done. Discipleship is essential for spiritual growth and following Jesus. So if you want help demystifying discipleship so you can experience what it means to follow Jesus, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Amos. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.